Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So last week I started this uh, series, Learn to Love. And, And so this is part two. I just want to remind you of all the things we're doing as a church during this uh, six plus one week uh, series on Learn to Love. And so we got a bunch of things. It's going to come up on the PowerPoint there. But in addition to this message series I'm doing each Sunday, uh, we also have many of our cell groups are discussing these things um, online or some of them, uh, but whatever, when they meet together. Uh, Also, in addition to the small groups and the discussions that are happening in our small groups, uh, any of you who, even if you're not in a small group, and if maybe you're not even from around, you know, the Steinbeck area here, and you're just watching from wherever, we welcome you here. We're glad you're here, uh, that you're joining us. Um, But we have materials every week, new materials, uh, discipleship materials for learning to love, for growing uh, as a whole church and as individuals, as we learn to love and grow in love. We have materials every week. Uh, there's a teaching from Pastor Stefan. There are exercise booklets, and the exercise booklets are awesome. They're really awesome. They have uh, simple, practical exercises for you to do at home during the week uh, in order for you to grow in love, in receiving love and giving love. So you want to download those. You can download them. They're on the website, uh, new every week, uh, tomorrow, every Monday. Uh, and then also there's a third thing we're doing right now, which is family midweek online. So during this Learn to Love series, we thought, what better thing? You know, families are spending so much time together. Uh, and uh, so we thought, what better thing than to get families together for half an hour? It's just half an hour. There's no homework, okay? It's not meant to add something to your life. It's meant to, uh, uh, in terms of, of work, it's meant to be half an hour where you sit down with your kids. It's specifically aimed at middle, at families with middle school age kids. But of course, anybody can watch. And, uh, and LaDawn and I and our kids will be on camera. And the goal there is to lead you and your families through conversations that will hopefully grow the love quotient uh, in your family. And so uh, those are the things we're doing during this six plus one week series, okay? Six plus one because we've got a prayer summit break in the middle there. Um, all right, so I want to continue uh, today, this morning, with Learn to Love Part 2. And I want to just read you an entire story out of Mark chapter 5. Okay, Mark chapter 5, it's a famous story. I want to read it through, and then we'll break it down verse by verse. But Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 25 and reading to verse 34. And again, we're so glad, uh, I'm just so glad to be uh, here at church with a few of our volunteers this morning and, and you guys all joining us online. But here's the, uh, this, this uh, famous story, uh, healing story of the woman with the discharge of blood. So verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and grew no, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, as I said, this is a famous uh, healing story in the Gospels. It's, it's uh, told in all three uh, of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can forget about that name, uh, that word synoptic. Um, but anyway, I just read you the Mark version. And it's a famous story. And of course, you know, most of us as Westerners, they're on, on the surface, we get the main points of the story, which is that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus loves us and, uh, and Jesus can heal and all those sorts of things. Um, but there is a, there's a major part to this story that as modern Western readers and listeners that we miss when we go through this story, that the, that the Jews who are experiencing this story, okay? So the main themes we get, Jesus is God, he loves us, he loves to heal. That's all really important to this story. But there, this, this story, there's so much more to this story than just that. And, uh, and the Jewish people who were involved, who were there when this happened, uh, they got, there was more of a richness. There was more things going on here, some beautiful things that were going on here. And I want to look at what those things are. And so we're going to have to get a little bit into some stuff that's maybe a little bit gross in these next few minutes, but it's in the Bible, okay? So it's fine. Uh, and, then, and then out of that, we're going to see some powerful things that maybe aren't obvious to us modern readers, but that show us Jesus' heart for us and, and what he does for us. But uh, if we go back to verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, what is a discharge of blood? Now, many of you can probably kind of figure that out, okay? Uh, but clearly this is, uh, this is something having to do with her, you know, a woman's cycle, menstruation, that sort of thing. Because that's what biblical talk, okay? Discharge of blood, that was how the Bible talked about these things. And I know it might be a little weird for us to talk about today. This isn't something we normally talk about at church, or really ever, <laughs> Uh, thankfully. Uh, but it is in the Bible, okay? It is, you know, the Old Testament, the New Testament. This is actually important to their, uh, to their religious life and their everyday life because the Bible talked about it as part of their ritual laws. And I want to show you this in Leviticus 15. So just stick with me, families, uh, young people, old people, okay? So you're going to see this is important to the story. So you have to get this, right? So Leviticus 15, uh, and we're going to see this, this language here of the discharge of blood. If a woman has a discharge of blood uh, for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, okay? Or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Now, the thing you have to understand is that in a culture of that day, uh, this discharge of blood, this, this uh, the, the woman, the, you know, the menstrual cycle and all that sort of stuff, had become a very shameful thing. And, uh, and you can see why it had become a shameful thing. Uh, um, and you, even in the, in the passage here, uh, I'll just underline that, you can see the different references to unclean and, and impure, okay? So you have multiple references to this as unclean and impure. Now, I know there's lots of women today, and they read a passage like this in Leviticus, and they're thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, the, the Bible is sexist, God is sexist, uh, you know, why would God call women, they can't help it, impure, unclean, all this sort of stuff, okay? Now, this is not a message about Leviticus, and this is not a message about that, okay? I want to just, so I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, because we could spend one or two hours looking in Leviticus, and why would God have these kinds of laws, and what was God's heart behind these laws, okay? Uh, but we're not going to go there, because I'm going to prove to you, just straight from this New Testament story, that God does not think uh, women are impure, unclean, or that a woman going through, you know, that, you know, her cycle is shameful, impure, unclean, Okay? Um, for those of you though, who are asking questions, I have uh, often, you know, sort of advertised this book. It's come up on your screen right now. 
um, because I don't have time in this message to go into all the reasons why they would have laws like this in the Old Testament, or God would have them, or what his heart was. But is God a moral monster, making sense of the Old Testament? God has a whole section that digs into God's heart behind some of these laws and why they would have them, all right? So if you, if you want to look deeper into that, I'm going to leave that here in this message. I'm just saying that I, I just need to set the table a little bit for what's going on in this Mark chapter 5 story, okay? And so what you have to understand from these Levitical laws, and I, I want to get to one piece in particular, because you have to understand the background of this woman who's coming for healing. And why is she afraid? And why is she trembling? Okay? But you have to understand that in that, that New Testament culture, when this story happens, when Jesus heals this, this woman, uh, you have to understand what she's been going through for the last 12 years. Okay? And she's been going through quite a bit. But we're just going to go back in Leviticus for a couple more verses here, just to show you uh, one of, some of the things she was going through uh, in her life. And so Leviticus 15, 19 talks about this. Uh, when a woman has a discharge, okay? and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening, okay? So the first thing you have to understand is uh, when this, you know, time of the, of, the, of the woman's cycle was happening, uh, this woman, nobody wanted to touch her, okay? So she would be isolated from people because anyone who would touch her would become unclean, okay? So she was considered unclean in the law, and then whoever would touch her would become unclean. So she would be isolated, okay, for, for a week. So that's pretty, you know, that's pretty severe, okay? So you can see again, we can't imagine anything uh, like this or anything similar to this in our culture today, okay? Um, but then it goes on. It's even more than just if you touched her. I want you to see how complete this isolation would have been. It even went to things she had touched, okay? So... Uh, if we go to the next verse in Leviticus, and everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes, clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches, this is verse 22, and whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Okay, so we're going to leave that Leviticus now and hopefully never come back to it for a long, long, at least not for a long, long time, okay? I will not ever do a message series on that passage, just so you know. Um, but, uh, but anyway, what I want you to notice here is that a woman going through this, this period in her life, <laughs> pun intended, um, would be isolated, okay? Uh, nobody could touch her and nobody could touch the things she touched. So you have to think, she couldn't share a chair, she couldn't share a table, she couldn't share a bed, utensils, that sort of thing. If she touched something, it became unclean. If anyone touched that thing she had touched, they became unclean. So the effect of these laws was that, uh, uh, that women going through this would be uh, very isolated, okay? Very, very isolated. Um, and uh, so anyway, now let's go back to the Jesus story. So let's go back to Mark 5. Let's go back to this uh, healing story, and we see this. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So she has a medical condition. But now I want you to notice this, 12 years. Okay? She isn't just suffering physically. Now, she would be suffering physically as well. Uh, no doubt, you know, this kind of a condition, whatever it was, uh, would have had effects on her uh, physically. But beyond physically, I want you to think of the isolation she's been living in for 12 years. Okay, she is being shunned. Now, originally, and again, I'm not going to get into that, 
God's original intention in those laws was not to put shame on women. It was about ritual impurity. But over time, it got caught up that the society put shame on women too. It was a, it was a shameful thing. It was a hidden thing. It was a shun you thing. So this woman, though, hadn't just been going through this, you know, periodically over time. Uh, this was something that had been going for 12 years straight. Nobody would want to touch anything she touched. Nobody would want to touch her. So she is, uh, after 12 years... Uh, this is a woman who has been shunned, not only by society, but by anyone close to her, okay? Think of 12 years without human contact. Think of 12 years of people not wanting to touch you, not wanting to have you over, not wanting to come to your place, not wanting to touch anything you've touched. Think about that kind of isolation for 12 years, okay? Intense emotional and relational pain. And of course, she's been desperate. As a result, she's been desperate. Verse 26, and this woman who had suffered much under many physicians. Now, uh, they didn't have a, a medical system like we have today. I can only imagine. I mean, we can look at archaeology and we can look at some of the writings from that time and some of the goofy things that physicians in those days did to try to cure people. But it says here, she had suffered much under many physicians. I can only imagine. The, the, the wild things they will have tried on her to, to fix her and had spent all that she had, she's desperate, okay? This is so much more than physical. She doesn't have a life. In fact, not only does she not have a life, her life is terrible. It's a life of isolation. Had spent all that she had. You know, another thing that this tells us, she had spent all the money she had. She's not married, okay? We don't know if she ever had been married. Perhaps she had been married because in those days, again, pretty much everyone got married. Uh, women were, were actually desperate to be married because in that culture, just because of the way it was, very patriarchal, you, you, to, in order to be taken care of in many ways, it was important for a woman to be married uh, just because of how things were back then. She's, she's not married. She's spending her own money and wouldn't have had much of it, okay? So either she was married originally and her husband left her because of this issue and because of the uncleanness and all that, or she couldn't get married because of that. But this woman is on her own, Okay? And so now we come to verse 27. So you can kind of feel the desperation um, behind what this woman is doing. You can feel with her for the things that she's experiencing. And so verse 27, she had heard reports about Jesus. Now, uh, I love this. She's desperate. I mean, she's already tried everything from every physician. Uh, I bet you she's probably tried other things. Like she is so desperate. She hears there's a man named Jesus that's healing people. <laughs> let's, let's try it, right? Like, let's try it. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. So now, when she sees him, I mean, there's faith there. She can see there's something different about him, okay? And she wants to touch his garments. But now, I want you to notice this touching part. Remember, we've just gone through this whole thing in Leviticus. Uh, this woman should not be touching people. Nobody wants her to touch them. And, and she knows that if she touches someone else, she's making them unclean. They're going to be locked out of, the, you know, out of the temple, out of the synagogue, for whatever, for a week themselves. So, I mean, this is serious. She wants to touch him. And I want you to think about something else. Why does she feel the need to touch him? I mean, there's lots of stories in the Gospels of Jesus healing people without touching them. And there's lots of examples of stories in the gospel, in the gospels where um, 
uh, people asked Jesus to help them, and then he helped them without touching them. Like, I think of the uh, Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and says, my servant is dying, and, uh, and uh, Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house. And he says, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word. And Jesus says the word, and from a distance, his servant is healed. You know, I think of, uh, uh, you know, Luke chapter 18, the blind man who's at the side of the road, and Jesus is, is, is going by, and uh, the blind man calls out. He doesn't touch Jesus. He calls out and he says, you know, son of man, son of man, uh, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. And Jesus speaks the word and he sees. Okay? So there's lots of examples in the Gospels where people ask Jesus to do something to heal them. And Jesus heals them without having to touch them. So it's interesting to me that this woman who is ritually unclean, who has been shunned by society, who isn't allowed to touch people, who isn't supposed to touch people, who nobody wants to touch her, she doesn't want to ask Jesus. There's something in her that compels. She needs to touch him. And so she comes up behind him and she touches him. And of course, she's healed. Okay, so verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Okay, so now, I'm very interested in what happens next, okay? Because this next part, for years I've often just wondered, why does Jesus do what he does next, okay? So let's read what happens next. Verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments, okay? So she sneaks up. Now, clearly she's sneaking up to him because he doesn't see it. She doesn't ask him. There's a crowd all around him. She just touches him, and she's not saying anything. She knows she's healed, okay? And now Jesus stops, of course, and, and, and this is Jesus. So he's doing this for a reason. He stops, and he looks around, and he says, who touched my garments? Now, I have often wondered why, like, clearly this woman, this is an embarrassing, I mean, even me talking about it online today is a little bit embarrassing, Right? But never mind in that culture, this is an embarrassing issue for this woman. This is a shame issue for this woman. She has snuck up to him to touch him. Why does he draw attention to it? Like, Jesus, just let her be healed and let her kind of sneak off and be okay and get her life back together. But no, 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 no. She sneaks up and touches him and now she's like, I'm going to get out of here. And he turns around. I can just imagine him, you know, his voice booming out to this whole crowd and saying, who touched me? Okay? And of course, I love his disciples, because they're so much like us. They're, they're, they're exasperated with Jesus. Look at this, verse 31. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? They're like, what are you talking about? There's people all over here. How can you ask who touched you? Okay? But he's, he's, he's like a bulldog. Jesus is like a bulldog here. And he's like, no, 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 no. I am not letting this one get by. Someone touched me and got healed, and I want to publicly talk to them and point them out. I mean, he, so why though? Why is he publicly calling out this woman with this shameful issue who wanted to secretly be healed and has already been secretly healed? Well, let's, let's keep going. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. So she hears him now calling out. Uh, and she thinks she's in trouble. Look at the fear and the trembling, okay? She is, uh, yeah, well, it all makes sense, right? When you got the context, it makes sense. She's, she's afraid and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, 
This, it is interesting to me, though, that she feels, she felt immediately. When she touched him, she felt she was healed. Now, it seems to me here that she's afraid of more than just being kind of found out. It's interesting to me that Jesus has healed her, so, and she knows that he's healed her, but she's still afraid of, it seems like she's not just afraid of the crowd knowing, it seems like she's actually afraid of him. And I think right there is the reason. I'm going to go to the next verse in just a second. But I think right there is the reason why Jesus doesn't want to let her just sneak away. Because he knows it is not enough for her just to know I have the power to heal her. She actually needs to know that I love her and that I wanted to heal her. And so he says this next. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He actually calls her daughter. And that's interesting to me. It's not enough for Jesus. He, she thought all she wanted was, I just want to get my life. I want to have a life, maybe my life back, or just maybe a life for the first time ever. I just want to be healed. But Jesus knows actually that she needs more than to be healed. She needs to know that he loves her. And so he calls out to this woman who has been shunned and shamed and isolated from society by an issue that was considered very shameful. Even if it's not considered shameful in today's society, we have our own things that we consider shameful. But in her society, this is considered a very shameful thing. She's a shameful kind of person. That's how she would have thought about herself and others would have thought about her. And Jesus says, it's not enough that I just heal you. You actually need to know that I accept you and that I love you. Daughter, he says. Daughter. The other thing that we see here is she also needs to know not only that Jesus accepts her, she needs to understand that Jesus has made her clean. See, her condition caused her to be ritually, according to the law, unclean. Okay? But he wants her to know that she is clean. Now, this is, again, now we're Christians. It's, we have 2,000 years of hindsight. And a lot of things that were shocking and amazing to these people who were experiencing these stories in person, they were shocked, they were amazed, they were blown away. And we just often go, hey, yeah, of course, Jesus makes people clean. But you have to understand, these people had 1,500 years of the Old Testament law behind them. And they had 1,500 years, centuries of tradition and culture from the Bible, okay, that told them that unclean things make clean things unclean. That's the way it goes. In a sense, a, their understanding of things was unclean is more powerful than clean. Because if an unclean thing touches a clean person, the unclean thing doesn't get cleaned, the clean person becomes unclean. You see that? And I wish I had time. I had to cut parts out. This is actually right in the middle of another story that is actually making this a little bit of this same point. But the gospel writers, there's a bunch of times, because we don't think of unclean and clean, because we're not, we're not big on Leviticus, and we haven't lived those things ever, and we have 2,000 years of church history behind us, so um, we don't often think about these things when we read this. But you have to remember, to these people, this is a big deal. You don't touch her, she's unclean. And if she touches you, you become unclean. But in the Gospels, in this story, and also the story in which this is in the middle of, Jesus has no problems touching 
unclean things and unclean people. But the crazy thing with Jesus is that he doesn't become unclean. He doesn't go off and isolate him after he's touched someone or something unclean. When he touches someone unclean, they become clean. And to the people who are experiencing this for the first time, it might seem to us like, oh, of course Jesus does that. But to them, this was mind-blowing. In other words, Jesus is more powerful than the law. Jesus is more powerful than unclean. It speaks a little bit to his capacity and who he is. His purity and holiness and goodness are so strong that the most shameful things, and if we bring this into today's context, where we have a different list of things maybe that are shameful, where, you know, the vast majority of us who are, who are watching this online right now, we have things from our past, maybe even our present, but we have things from our past that we super regret, that we are ashamed of, that we feel dirty. It may be things we've done. It may even be things that were done to us. And there's things that we feel, I can never forget that. That's always, we may even hide, subconsciously, we may try to push those memories down. We may try not to think about them. We may be afraid of those memories, but they feel dirty, they feel awful, they feel gross. But one of the most powerful, powerful things about this story, that these first century Jews all got the claim that Jesus was making when he did this, is that Jesus' goodness and purity is so joyful and so powerful that actually even your biggest shameful things and the biggest sins and the worst evils in the world his goodness is so powerful that the dirt doesn't make him dirty when his joyful purity comes into the presence of that dirt and shame. Actually, the dirt and shame shrivel up and are swept away in his goodness. And Jesus doesn't want to just, you know, we, I think we have so many Christians today who, who are trying to do just what this woman did in this story. Sneak up to Jesus, kind of touch him. Okay, I'm going to heaven. We kind of sneak up to the cross and it's kind of like, okay, I know he loves me, that word love. I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. I know he loves me, whatever that means, but he's very stern. And I know I'm going to heaven, and I know my sins are forgiven in some kind of theoretical sense, but, but we don't feel like he actually truly accepts us, and we actually don't feel clean. And so we want to sneak up and touch him and then just kind of hide there like this woman. But Jesus wants to boldly come into your life, and he wants to touch the darkest, most shameful, most perverse, most wicked, most guilt-filled places of our past and present. And he wants to look at you with a smile and he wants to say, daughter or son, you are clean. You are clean. His goodness washes away, sweeps away the dirtiness. The clean makes the, un in Jesus' case, the clean makes the unclean clean. So Jesus is making her clean. He wants her to know that. He wants to call her out. He wants her just to, not just to sneak around, but he also wants her to know that he likes her. And yes, I didn't get that word wrong. I said likes. Um, you say, why are you using likes? Let's use love, because that's what the song says, right? Jesus loves me, and he does. Um, but let me tell you why, for the rest of this message, I'm going to use the word like quite a bit, um, because I know that Jesus loves us, but I feel that we have robbed the word love of some of its potency and power. By the way, isn't that a good word, potency? I thought of that this week. But anyway, um, uh, I feel like we have robbed the word love of its potency 
and power. How have we done that? Um, I'll tell you how we've done it. We have put all kinds of things under that umbrella and said, you know, um, well, yeah, I know Jesus loves me, but is he, but does, but, but, but he also, yeah, and then we have all these things that go under love. We still think he's mad. We still think he's condemning. We still think all these kinds of things, but we put it under love. I know he loves us. And we often use the word love like that, even with each other. You know, uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, we all know um, married couples who they love each other, right? Like, and they would say, we love each other. We are committed till death do us part. But they're going to be miserable right to the bitter end. Isn't that true? We all know people like that, right? But they love each other. And, and so, yeah, there's some truth there. So one of the things, one of the good things we emphasize is love is more than a feeling. And it is. Because there's days when our feelings desert us. There's no question. So there's no question that, that love is more than a feeling. Yes. And there's no question that love is all about self-sacrifice. And love is about commitment. And love and love, love. These things are all love. Um, but... When we focus so much on those things and we lose the part of that actually there's some happiness to this, that actually when you, when you really love someone, there's also a part of that love that is like, I actually accept you and I like to be around you. Maybe not all the time when our human love, but I actually like to be around you. There's a happiness. And when you lose that like factor, you actually lose a lot of the potency of God's love. That he doesn't just tolerate you. He hasn't just saved you in some kind of theoretical sense and I'm going to go to heaven, but he's still mad at me. But when he calls this woman daughter, this woman who feels unclean, who has been isolated, who has been full of shame, and he says, daughter, he is communicating so much here. He is saying, I'm so glad you touched me. I'm so glad you came to me. It is my joy to heal you. It's actually my joy. It is my joy to have come in contact with you. Okay? Uh, see, this is the whole point. This is why he doesn't want her to get away. Love is the point. I'm going to keep saying this throughout this series. What is the reason why God created the universe? And I'll tell you why. Love. He wanted the universe to exist. And he created people within this universe because he wanted to share his love. By the way, you just have to know this. And this is a theological point. And theologians will write big papers on this and stuff and use big language. But I'll just tell it to you simply. Um, God created people not because he needed us. He didn't create people because he was like, boy, I'm super bored in eternity. I'm super lonely. Therefore, I need to make people to fill a need. God has no needs. He was perfectly happy and full of joy and full of love before he made us and before he made the universe. So then why did he make the universe? Because he loves. He wanted to share that love. He wanted to share the joy of existence with creatures that he would make. So what is the whole purpose for the universe existing? What is the whole purpose why you exist? Is because God loves. He wanted you to exist. He is happy that you exist. Existence isn't a burden to him. Existence to God is a joy. It's an absolute utter joy. So the whole purpose is, is love. This woman doesn't know that. She just wants a healing and then she wants to sneak away because she still feels ashamed. And he says, you have to know, daughter, I am so excited. I got to touch you and heal you today. She's, she's gone from unclean to clean and she needs to know that he accepts and likes her. By the way, I feel like, you know, when it comes to love, us parents often do this as well. Um, you know, we talk about loving our kids. Isn't it true? 
you know, when we use this word love, and again, I love the word love, by the way, or I like the word love, even. Um, but I love the word love. I'm not against the word love. I'm just using like to jar us out of some of our things because I feel like we, again, like I said, we've taken the happiness, the like out of love. Um, so parents will talk about, oh yeah, I love my kids. And it's absolutely true. Any of you parents who are watching this right now, isn't it true? Uh, the vast majority of us would gladly take a bullet for our kids. I mean, if it came down to it, uh, if you're a parent, it has nothing to do with bravery or courage. It just has to do with love. Uh, I would way rather, you know, take a bullet for my kids than have them take a bullet. I'd way rather get sick than have them get sick. It's just how a parent's love is. So there's no question we love our kids. But how many of our kids experience something that is so far from love? Mom and dad are distracted all the time. Almost all of my interactions with mom and dad are them being annoyed with me, them being overtired and exhausted, them being on their phones, them not having time for me. So yeah, we love them, but our kids' experience often of us is something very different than love. You have to understand that Jesus' love for you is not just, I'm committed to you and I died on the cross for your sins and now you're going to heaven, but in the meantime, I can barely tolerate you or pay attention to you. Jesus likes you. And you absolutely need to know that. And not only do you need to know that for yourself, you need to know that so you can give it to others. Because I'm going to tell you, the world needs more than just a serious kind of love. The world needs to see Christians who actually like people. That's how they receive love. The world needs to meet Christians who actually like people. See, when you like someone, it means you like having them around. Is this true? It's true. Uh, when we all know people, there's people who do this very well. Isn't it true? But there's people who, when they see you, they smile and you can tell they're happy to see you. Is that not one of the best feelings in the world? Isn't it, isn't it true? Like, there's people, I can think of some people in my life right now, when you see them, whether you haven't seen, you know, whether it's been a day, a week, a month, a year since you saw them last, you come into their presence, they look up, they see you, and you can see they're happy to see you. Did you know that is actually how God has wired our brains? That is one of the best ways that we, it's a subtle, small thing, and yet it is one of the biggest ways that we communicate love to people, is happy to see you. Jesus looks at this woman in the crowd. He doesn't want her just to get away without her knowing that he was happy to see her. Daughter, who did this? Who did it? Who touched me? Daughter, your faith has made you well. He wants her to know. He wants to acknowledge her. He wants her to know that she is accepted and liked by him. That is absolutely powerful. It's how our brains are actually wired to receive love. Did you know that? Our brains, uh, you, you can do brain science on this. Um, but our brains, see, we often think about love in terms of big things. So if I go back to the parent analogy again, you know, parents will say, oh, I love my kids. I provide for them every day. Well, that is one way we love our kids, and that is good that they're not, yet you're not starving your kids, and you clothe them. Oh, brilliant, okay? So step one of love. Um, how many parents have provided for their kids, though, and ended up having a horrible relationship with their kids? That's a lot of parents. So, yeah, inside as a parent, you feel, I work hard every day, I love my kids by doing that. Well, that's great, but their, their, their brains are actually wired by God. This isn't a bad thing. It's not just a certain generation. This is every generation. This is how human beings are wired. We don't receive love by someone just saying, I provide for you. Our brains are actually wired to read love in small, subtle things. You say, I buy them gifts at their birthday, and I take them on holidays in summer. By the way, all of those things are really wonderful. Don't stop doing them. 
Okay, that's wonderful to go on a trip with your kids in summer to do vacations. That's a beautiful thing for a family to do and it does build memories and it does build love. But what are you doing the other 364 or 360 days a year? Because you know what your brain picks up love as? I'll tell you what brain, whether it be at work, whether it be in your family, whether it be with your friends. Your brain is every day subconsciously constantly asking the question, do I matter to other people? Am I valuable? Am I worth loving? And do you know how your brain answers that question? It answers it dozens of times every day in the body language of the people around you. That's actually just the truth. Your brain, every time you walk into a room, you, you won't consciously think about it, but you walk into a room and it's going on beneath the surface and your brain is reading, are people happy I'm here? Do people notice I'm here? You want to know one of the most powerful ways to communicate love to your children? Give them your attention. Think about this, because I'm actually, I'm, I'm not great at this. Uh, I hope I'm getting better at it. I know I sometimes struggle with this at work. Um, but think about this, you go into your boss's office, you knock on the door, you come in, and he or she is working on something, and you have a question to ask. And he or she keeps working at the computer. I've done this way too many times in my life. I'm, I'm trying to get better. But they keep working on their computer while you talk to them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. How do you feel about your importance or the importance of your question? How do you feel? Now, you might be so used to that, that might be your only interactions ever with your boss and with the people around you, you might just think that's normal. But what is the difference between that and walking into someone's office and when you come in, they put down what they're doing and they actually look at you, even if it's for 30 seconds, they look at you and they say, how can I help you? See, we're often thinking about love as some huge, huge thing. I gotta give X amount of dollars, or I gotta sacrifice, or do this or that. And love is in those big things too. But as you know, one of the primary ways that we love people is in the dozens of little interactions every day. Those little communication, giving attention. Now, here's the problem. You know, one of the biggest enemies right now of us giving that kind of love to people is? It's distractions. It's distractions. How many, so just to go back to the family thing again, um, parents, your kids have been wired by God to look for your attention. I mean, you think it's a demon inside them why they keep uh, interrupting you all day long. But that's not a demon, okay? That is how God made them. You say, I tell my kids all the time that I love them. Yeah, but is their main experience of you all evening long is that you're exhausted after work and now you're on your phone and when they talk to you, it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because if that is, you say, I give them nice gifts and I take them on family vacation. Those are all great things. Don't stop doing them. But you know what? Maybe dozens of times a day, you might be telling your kids, you don't matter. Because their little brain is trying to get an answer to that question. Do I matter? Am I valuable? And one of the main ways they get that is in those subtle things of your body language and your attention. Do you give them attention? And are you happy to see them when they come into a room? Now, I know as I say that, some of you... Uh, are having momentary thoughts of, I want to go jump out the window right now. Uh, I feel horrible. I am, I am failing this terribly. I've messed up my kids. And the answer to that is yes, we've all messed up our kids. <laughs> we have all completely messed up our kids and our parents messed us up, right? So uh, there's never been a perfect parent. And I think actually uh, too many of us as parents are trying to be perfect. And in doing that, you know, give that up. That is a burden you can never carry. I actually think we should all be shooting for a better goal, and that is to be an okay parent with Jesus. 
shoot for being an okay parent with lots of praying to Jesus, and you're going to do much better than if you shoot to be a perfect parent. But what would happen in our families, what would happen in our workplaces if we even shot for one out of four? Like, what if we just shot for one out of four? Not even half, not three quarters, certainly not 100%. What if we shot for one out of four? How would that change the lives of the people we work with in terms of love? You want to talk about love? See, we don't think of the small, the small things. We think the greatest commandment is love God, love people. So I got to do something big for someone this week. Well, big things are great too. But you want to really radically show the people around you love? Give them attention. Give them joy. Show them that you love them. Show them that you, by showing them that you like them. What if we tried with our kids every day? I'm shooting for one out of four. I'm shooting for one out of three. To actually, when they come and talk to me, to stop what I'm doing, to look them in the eyes. Now, you might be in the middle of something. Even to stop, look them in the eyes, listen for a moment, and then say, Mommy or Daddy need some time. Or you're a boss, you're a manager, and say, Look them in the eyes, stop what you're doing, listen for a moment, and say, okay, look, right now, I just need half an hour to finish what I'm doing, then I'm going to get to this. But to give people attention, just like Jesus did to this woman in the crowd, don't let them just sneak away having gotten something from you without realizing that you, that you like them, love them, and accept them. Last thing here, before we get the application, we need to receive this from Jesus in our devotional life. I, uh, I mentioned before, you know, this, I think there's a lot of Christians who are trying to do what this woman did to Jesus. We want to just sneak into heaven. Don't be noticed. Um, lots of sin and shame in our lives. Lots of condemnation. We always feel like we're not doing enough. And so we want to just sneak up to Jesus and just get into heaven because he forgave us and we're happy for that. But... Jesus wants to stop you daily. And he wants to call you up publicly like he did to this woman in the crowd. And he wants to say, daughter or son, your faith has made you well. You say, I don't deserve that. Of course you don't. But the clean, when it's Jesus, Jesus is clean, makes the unclean clean. He takes your shame, he takes your inadequacy, and he makes it into adequacy. And uh, I have found some of the exercises that Stefan put together in the Learn to Love exercise booklet. You need to download it. You need to do some of those. He's got some excellent exercises there for connecting with Jesus and receiving his acceptance. But you need to know this morning, everybody, young and old, man and woman, girl and boy, you need to know not just that, God, that Jesus loves you or that God loves you. You need to know that Jesus likes you. And some of you need to remind yourself of that every day, perhaps at the start of your devotional time. You might start by just writing a line out. Thank you, Jesus, for being happy to see me this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me your attention, for gladly giving me your attention this morning. Jesus doesn't just love you. He likes you. So now I want to have a little time of reflection, just a couple of moments. And then the worship team is, is going to lead us in, in another song. And, uh, but let's have a little time. We'll take uh, three minutes here. I don't know if the guys have a countdown clock for me. If they do, great. If they don't, I'm just going to look it. I'll just eyeball it. Um, but uh, is there one thing God wants you to take from this message today? Number two, does God want to give you a creative idea this morning? Or whenever you're watching this, does God want to give you a creative idea 
for reminding yourself that he's happy to see you and be with you each morning. Actually happy to see you. Or a third thing you might want to think about over these couple of minutes is, are there particular times, situations in the week where you are regularly distracted by your device when you should be giving someone else, whether it be at work or a friend or an elderly parent or a child, some undivided attention? I'm going to give you uh, three minutes to perfectly think through these things. We'll have some music playing. And, uh, and let's let the Lord speak to us about his like. like for you. And that's our wish from our family to you guys this morning. We're going to sing a song right away. Before we do, I just want to, I want to just pray for you. And then don't forget that, uh, you know, right after this, you can send an email to prayer at myselfand.com. And any one of you who needs to feel God's love, any of you who needs an answer to prayer, you want to hear some people praying for you, you send them an email, okay? At prayer at myselfand.com. But I just want to pray for you. 
Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love. I thank you for these gospel stories that show you your love for us. I thank you that even right now, your hand is touching some of the dark, shameful, guilty parts of people's souls right now as they watch this. I pray for some of those people. It just comes to my mind right now that there are people who are watching this. They feel overcome with guilt about something that they've never told anybody before. And they're just, they are filled with guilt. They are filled with condemnation. They are afraid. I pray that you would give them the courage this week to speak out loud to someone, to someone, what they've done and what's been done to them. And that through that speaking out loud, they will receive your love and grace and acceptance. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com. 